Hello, everybody. I'm David. I'm the pastor here. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'd love to shake your hand as you go out. I'm not allowed to shake your hand as you go out. I would love to bump your elbow as you go out and greet you in the name of Jesus. We have uh, some um, sermon notes going around, so if you'd like a copy of the sermon notes, please put your hand up and you can see what we're talking about today. Uh, We've realised that we can only have 100 in the hall at a time, so I think some of the kids have gone outside to make room. So if you're outside and you want to come in, I think we now have space for you. People outside, if you want to come in, you can. If you sit up there, yes, you can look on your phones without me noticing, and that's fine. Three men went out to play golf one day. Moses, Jesus, and another bloke. And they're there playing golf and having a lovely time and Moses hits the ball and it goes plonk into the water trap. So Moses walks up to the edge of the water trap and raises up his stick and the water splits in half and Moses walks out into the middle of the pond and hits the ball up onto the green. Lovely shot. Jesus is next. He hits the ball. It goes straight into the same water trap. So Jesus walks over and steps onto the pond and walks out into the middle Falls the ball to the surface and chips it onto the green. Lovely shot. The third bloke walks over and he doesn't even look. He just swings and hits the ball. The ball goes flying up in the air, bounces off a duck, comes down, hits a rock, bounces over, hits the tree, comes over here, skips across the top of the water, goes up in the air, spins a couple of times and goes plonk straight into the hole. And Jesus says, Dad, stop showing off. Three people playing golf. Well, this morning we're talking about two of those. Well, we're talking about all of them, but Jesus and Moses will be a part of our message this morning. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, the story of Jesus as presented by Mark, and we've talked about um, over the last few weeks in Chapter 6, Jesus has sent his 12 disciples out on mission. He's given them his authority and he sent them out. So Jesus has trusted his disciples with his ministry, with his authority, with his methods, his meekness, with his message, with his results. Jesus has given his authority to his disciples and said, go out and share the good news. What is the good news? The same that Jesus has been saying all the way through the Gospel of Mark. Let's read it together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the message that Jesus has and the message he sends his disciples out to share. The kingdom of God is close, close by, close enough to touch. People need to repent, turn turn around from their sins and follow God and believe this good news. Last week, no, not last week, the week before, uh, we we talked about Jesus and feeding, Jesus feeding the 5,000, so that's in chapter 6 as well. After the disciples come back from their ministry, Jesus has a plan of going away and having a rest, but instead the crowd follows them. Jesus feeds them the five loaves, the two fish, and 5,000 plus are fed that day. We talked a lot about the symbolism of what this means, and then Paul spoke last week a lot of similar symbolism from the Old Testament of Jesus um, doing for the people what Moses had done long ago in the Old Testament. We came to this conclusion that Jesus is the prophet that Moses told the people would come. Moses predicted, he said at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, another prophet will come. God will choose another prophet from amongst you 
will be like me, but better. God will put his very words in that man's mouth and he will speak those words. And so we say that Jesus is the prophet that Moses told them would come. And by feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness, Jesus is demonstrating that he is like Moses and even better than Moses. And that brings us to our story this morning because our story this morning follows immediately after that, following on from the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus has recreated so many of the symbols of the Exodus and made a very public display of Moses-like power. The next story happens that same day, that same time. The disciples have gathered the 12 baskets of excess food that we spoke about And then immediately Jesus sends them away, straight away. The story is part and parcel of the one before it. He sends them away, makes them get into the boat and go on to ahead of him to Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida is a town just to the east of Capernaum. So if you look at, imagine the Lake of Galilee is like a clock and 12 at the front top is Capernaum. Bethsaida is probably at one, maybe half past one around the top of the lake. Luke tells us that the story of the feeding of the 5,000 happened maybe at Hapas 2 on the lake, just around the corner from Bethsaida. So it's not that far that Jesus is sending them. He's saying, you guys get in the boat, go around the corner to Bethsaida, I'll meet you there. He's saying, go on ahead, while Jesus dismisses the crowd. While he says to the crowd, okay, guys, go home. He knows his disciples are exhausted. He knows they've had a busy and hard couple of weeks. They've had a busy day. Before the feeding of the 5,000, it was so busy they didn't even have time to eat. So Jesus says to his disciples, you guys go, I'll deal with the crowd, I'll dismiss them, I'll meet you in Bethsaida. John, when he tells this story, tells us some of the people in the crowd wanted to come and make Jesus king by force. There were some elements in the crowd that Jesus needed to deal with. But he knew his disciples were tired, they needed a break. And Jesus also needed a break. It says after he sent them away, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. He needed some time alone with his father, time to get away and recharge. So he dismisses the crowd and goes and spends some time in prayer. The next verse says, Later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. It's very strange that the boat is in the middle of the lake. They're not meant to be in the middle of the lake. They're going from here on the lake around the corner to Bethsaida. It's not that far, and somehow they've ended up in the middle of the lake. They're meant to be just going around the corner, not that far. And it says Jesus saw them. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Jesus told them to go to Bethsaida, and wouldn't you know it, that's exactly where the wind is coming from. They've been rowing, they've been straining and ending up further from their goal than when they started. At this rate, Jesus is going to be able to walk to Bethsaida faster than they can row there. He'll get to their meeting place and the disciples won't be there to meet them. He'll wonder what's happened to them. And so you can imagine the disciples getting more and more annoyed at this. We're we're supposed to be there by now. We're supposed to be having a rest. Jesus is going to meet us there tomorrow and we can't get there no matter how hard we row. I wonder if any of the disciples tried using the authority that Jesus had given them at the start of chapter 6. In chapter 5, we read of Jesus speaking to the wind and the waves and telling them to calm down. And at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus has sent out his disciples with his authority. 
to cast out the evil spirits and to heal people. I wonder if any of the disciples tried using the name of Jesus and his authority to tell the wind to stop. This isn't quite the same situation as chapter 5. They're not in danger of sinking. This is just an annoying wind, a persistent wind, blowing them backwards across the lake, making them late for their rendezvous with Jesus. But did they try? We aren't told. We are told that Jesus saw them, saw them from a distance, in the middle of the lake. This is pretty remarkable. The Sea of Galilee isn't that big. It's a few miles from side to side, so it's not a problem to see a boat in the middle from standing on a hill, but in the middle of the night to see a boat and to see the detail that they're straining against the wind, that's pretty impressive. It's a display of supernatural knowledge. Jesus sees them. He knows their situation. And like the crowds the day before, he has compassion on them. Jesus sees his friends struggling and exhausted and angry and annoyed, and he has great compassion on them. So he went out to them, walking on the lake. Mark writes this in such a simple, matter-of-fact way. He went out to them walking on the water, on the lake. It's the most astounding thing, but it's described so plainly, so simply, just walking on the lake. We want to know the details. We want to know what it looked like, how it was done. Did Jesus sink to his ankles or did he just float on the, on the very skin of the bottom of his feet? How far down was he in the water? My kids and I, we're go, we're kid, the family's going to Lake Catharabar, north of Noosa. It's a beautiful lake uh, because at the very most, it probably gets to about this deep in the very middle. The whole thing, it's a couple of, maybe a kilometre or two across the lake, and the deepest it gets is about this deep. So it's fabulous for kids because if they fall out of the canoe, they can just stand up. It's fabulous. But Jesus isn't, you know, waist deep in the water here, and Lake Galilee isn't, you know, only three feet deep at its deepest. Hundreds of feet deep. Jesus is walking across the top and out to the middle. We want more details. We want to know what it will look like. But Mark knows that any description he adds to this event cannot do it justice. So he leaves it as an exercise for the imagination. Jesus was just walking on the water. He knew exactly where to put his feet. and He just walked across the lake. He gets out to the lake, he gets out to the disciples in the middle of the lake, and he was about to pass them by. He was about to pass by them, the Bible says. Three Gospels tell this story Matthew, Mark, and John. Only Mark puts in this detail that Jesus is about to walk past them. He doesn't go straight up to the boat. Instead, he walks past them, he overtakes them. He's walking faster than the boat. Here are these 12 blokes straining at the oars, trying to row into the wind, and here comes Jesus just walking past them. How annoying must that have been? We've been straining. Oh, and he's just walking past. He just, he's going to walk past them. He's going faster than the boat. One of the disciples sees him and bumps onto the next, and then they all look up, and here he is walking past them. They thought it was a ghost. It has to be. Makes sense, doesn't it? If it's going to float on water, if whatever they're seeing is floating in the water, it has to be less dense than the water. It can't be a man. A man would go up to his neck before he started floating. 
must be a ghost, and they start screaming and yelling and panicking. They thought it was a ghost. They start shouting and panicking. They cried out. They all saw him and they were terrified. And fair enough, I would shout too. They've been working hard for days. They're exhausted. They've had no time to eat. Their day off has been interrupted by demanding crowds. They've been sent off in a boat very late in the day after handing out tons of food and gathering it up again, rowing all night against the wind to meet with, meet with Jesus at Bethsaida. And now, just before dawn, this thing comes walking to them on the water. Terrifying, horrifying. What does this mean? They didn't have time to worry about it, what it meant, because immediately Jesus said something to them. He says, guys, don't worry. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And like almost every verse in Mark, I could preach an entire sermon just on this one verse. There is so much depth here. Take courage, Jesus says. It's I. Don't be afraid. This repeated refrain that we've heard again of Jesus speaking to people in need, of, of Jairus particularly with his daughter, saying to Jairus, don't worry. Don't be afraid, just believe. In Matthew's version of this story, there's a bit where Peter gets out of the boat and walks towards Jesus on the water as a test to prove that Jesus is really who he says he is. Think about that for a second. Peter sees Jesus walking past, thinks he's a goat, Jesus, a ghost, not a goat, thinks he's a ghost. Jesus says, it's me, and Peter says, prove it. And you can prove it by having me walk towards you on the water. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. How is that going to prove anything? If it's a ghost, Peter's going to go straight to the bottom of the lake. That just doesn't make sense to me at all. But this is Peter. And then he gets distracted by the wind and the waves and the whole walking on water thing and starts to sink. And perhaps when we finish Mark in about 2022, we'll start on Matthew. And we'll take about five years to go through Matthew. And when we get there, we'll talk more about that story. But here in Mark and in John's Gospel, that bit is skipped over. It seems likely that Mark is writing down Peter's version of the story. We've talked about that before. But this is the written version of what Peter told people about his experiences with Jesus. So many of the adventures of Peter and Peter, his adventures with Jesus, are minimised in this Gospel because Peter doesn't want to make a big deal of himself and his stories, of his successes and his failures. So most of the stories we hear about Peter are in Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel and John's Gospel. They don't mind so much pointing out where Peter did well and where Peter did poorly. But Mark's Gospel is Peter's version. So Peter is a much smaller character in the Gospel than in the others because Peter's a good Jewish boy. He doesn't want to make a big deal of himself. But Peter walking on Peter did walk on the water with Jesus. We read that in Matthew's Gospel. And walked back to the boat with Jesus after he started to sink. And Jesus reached out and grabbed him. How long did Matthew uh, did Peter and Jesus walk on the water for? How long did they take a stroll? Did they walk all the way around the boat? Did they have a good conversation? We're not told. If I could pick anywhere in all the gospel stories to be, it's in this boat on this day. That's what I want to see. 
I wonder where you would love to be in the gospel story. Jesus climbed into the boat. And that's a tricky thing to do at the best of times, getting into a boat when it's right beside the, the pier is a hard thing. I've tipped over my share of boats, I can tell you, sometimes on purpose, sometimes by accident. Uh, I've tipped over a couple of boats here and there. Getting in and out of boats is tricky and how to do that while you're walking on the water. I don't know how he did it, but he managed it. It just says, and the wind died down. Just like the story from chapter 5, the wind and the waves obey him. And they were completely amazed. They were completely amazed. The Greek is more emphatic. And this is just a, the English just says they were completely amazed. But in the Greek, in the original language, and you probably can't read that, but this is my interlineal. So um, the numbers there help you look up the Greek word in the dictionary because most of us can't read the Greek. So we look up the number. And this is the English literal translation underneath. This is what the verse says. And greatly beyond measure... In themselves, they were amazed and marvelled. And in the English, we say they were completely amazed. How boring is that? Come on, Bible translators, give us some of this. Greatly beyond measure, in themselves, they were amazed and marvelled. They were absolutely shocked by this. We've seen lots of people be amazed in Mark's Gospel. At Jesus' teaching, at his authority over evil spirits, over his ability to heal people. We've even seen Jesus be amazed at the lack of faith in his hometown. But this is the first time and the last time that anyone in Mark is so completely amazed, greatly beyond measure, in themselves and marvelling. This is the very first time and the last time in Mark's Gospel that we're told they were just completely, wow, completely shocked. And we're given the reason why they were completely amazed. Mark says, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. There's some criticism of the disciples in Mark, and this isn't the last time the disciples will get a little bit of a a serve from the writer. And increasing as the story goes along, Mark will make comment about the disciples not understanding or not believing or not getting it. And perhaps we can imagine Peter telling these stories years later, looking back on it all in hindsight and going, how did we not see it? Why didn't we get it? The explanation for why they didn't get it is their hearts were hardened. They should have gotten it. But they didn't understand about the loaves. Three words, about the loaves. About the loaves? What's that got to do with being amazed that Jesus walked on the water? This story and the one before it are so tied together, so bound together. The story we read two weeks ago, the feeding of the 5,000, the loaves and the fishes. Jesus miraculously replicating food for the hungry in the wilderness. And the disciples hadn't properly understood what had happened. They hadn't processed it correctly. They hadn't grasped it. And so when Jesus comes walking on the water, they freak out. They are completely, utterly befuddled, confused. At sixes and sevens, they are baffled, they are puzzled, they are perplexed, they are stumped, they are flummoxed, they are nonplussed, they are astonished, they are astounded, they're shocked, they're stunned, they're startled, they're surprised, they're flabbergasted, they're dumbfounded, they're staggered, they're amazed. 
We have a lot of words for amazed. The Bible just says they were completely amazed. They could have used any seven of those words and not even got to the depth of it. They're completely amazed because they've not understood about the loaves, the five loaves that Jesus has used to feed the 5,000. So let's talk about the loaves. What did we learn from the story of the loaves? If you don't remember it or you weren't here two weeks ago, I encourage you that all the messages are recorded. There is a podcast. Just put in your podcast app, Logan Wesley and Methodist Church, and you'll have my dulcet tones coming into your ears as you drive to work. Or if you prefer, we've got our great new camera and our team. We're videoing the messages. If you follow us on Facebook, you'll see us there. And you can, you can look at my beautiful face as you drive to work. No, don't do that. But the message is there. I encourage you to go and look at it because there's a lot of depth to that. And Paul, last week, spoke on the same topic from a different way. He talked from the Old Testament perspective looking forward. So I encourage you to listen to his message as well. But the upshot is that in feeding the 5,000, Jesus is recreating a story from 1,500 years before, the story of the Exodus, and putting himself in the role of Moses. As Moses fed the people in the wilderness, or provided God provided through Moses the manna from heaven and the water and the quail and all the things, in the same way, Jesus takes on that role of Moses and provides food in the wilderness, bread and fish. Moses told the people, the Lord, will ra- the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This prophet that, Jesus, that Moses said would come one day, who would have the words of God in his mouth, Jesus makes this public sign to show that he is the new Moses, the one greater than Moses, better in so many ways. So here is another event that points to this reality. When Moses needed to get across some water, what did he do? People are trapped beside the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming to chase them. Many of us would know this story from our Sunday school days. Moses, God works through Moses to do an amazing miracle, splits the sea apart, and the people walk across on dry land. Moses needs to get across some water. The water splits and moves. You can read about that in Exodus chapters 13, 14, and 15. And Moses sings. He's like me. He loves to sing. At the end of chapter 15, he says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? When Moses needs to get across some water, God divides the water for him, and Moses walks on the bottom to get to the other side. When Jesus needs to get across some water, he just steps onto the waves, doesn't sink. Jesus is the prophet that Moses told the people would come. And more than just a prophet, he's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And the stories that we're told in Mark's Gospel, we see more and more that Jesus is all these things, Saviour, Messiah, Son of God. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the very first line says, Jesus is the Saviour, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so the disciples are dumbfounded and amazed and perplexed in all those words because they've not really grasped what had happened with the loaves. They've got hard hearts. 
They've got hard hearts. They haven't quite got it. They hadn't grasped what had happened the day before. They hadn't got the symbolism of what they themselves had been involved in. So when Jesus takes another of Moses' miracles, turns it up to 11, they are utterly blown away, completely marvelling, shocked in themselves. Are there any questions this morning before we conclude? Any questions about anything I've said this week or the, a few weeks ago? Any questions today? People outside, any questions? I do like questions, so if you've got questions, you can email me or write them in. My phone number's there. You can send me a message. I can't imagine anything I'd rather do sitting beside the lake this week than have an SMS conversation about Jesus. So please, get me out of washing up and send me a message. We talk about our faith fingers here, the ways in which we grow in our faith and the importance of our private time with Jesus. The importance of having that trusted friend, someone we can go deep with. The importance of being part of a small group, 10 or 12 people who get together to study the word and do things. The importance of mission, of pointing others towards Jesus, of helping share the good news. Glenda spoke about that this morning, mission week, mission night coming up and the, the work that we do overseas. The importance of church. As we gather together, we, we grow our faith in these ways. Here this morning, I think there are two encouragements to us. The first is the importance of a private time, the importance of spending time in prayer. In the scriptures there, we read them that after Jesus had, after leaving them, Jesus went up on a mountainside to pray. If Jesus did it, so should we. If Jesus took time out from his schedule and the busyness of the crowds and the craziness to go and spend time alone with God, so should we. We. Jesus found it important and vital, so should we. Jesus, we're not really covering the next chunk of this, this same chapter, but it finishes in a similar way to it began. Jesus, remember the, the beginning of the story of the 5,000, the people are so busy, there's not time to eat. He says, let's go away and rest. Then the crowds come and follow them. There's not time to rest. So Jesus says to his disciples, go out and I'll meet you in Bethsaida. And then the wind blows and they end up miles away. Where did they go after Jesus got to them? The wind had died down. Did they just sit in the middle of the lake for the rest of the day and have a rest? Did they have a snooze in the boat as they bobbed gently up and down? Did they go to Bethsaida and actually have that proper rest, that time with God, that time with Jesus, that time alone together? I like to think that they did. But verse 53 after this story says, after they crossed over, they went to Gennesaret and anchored there. I think maybe Mark is jumping over a section because Gennesaret, if you imagine your clock face of the Lake of Galilee, Gennesaret seems to be over here at about 10 o'clock. Bethsaida is over here at about 2 o'clock. So maybe they went some time at Bethsaida and then went to Gennesaret. Maybe it's jumping forward. But Jesus, the gospel goes on and says, as soon as they got out of the boat, people came and recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried all those who were ill on mats, wherever they heard Jesus was. And wherever he went, in the villages, towns or the countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. 
and all who touched it were healed. Jesus goes after feeding the 5,000, the busyness of all that, he goes and prays and spends time alone with his father so that he could go back to the crowds, that he had the energy, so that he had the strength to go back and deal with all these people who are so demanding, people coming from all over. He could do it because he'd spent the time with his father. So should There's also the importance here of the group, the 12. Here are these 12 disciples in the boat together. What were they talking about as they rowed away that day? They mustn't have had a proper conversation about the feeding of the 5,000 and what it all meant because they didn't get it. They didn't grasp it at the time, but with reflection and thought and discussion, they got there in the end. So I encourage you this morning, are you part of a small group? you have 10 or 12 friends, three friends, five friends who get together and read the scriptures together and pray and support each other and challenge each other and say to each other, what does this, what's actually going on for you? What is going on in your life here? The importance of having that small group and all of these steps, all these five ways are ways to prevent our hearts being hardened. As we take these steps, as we, as we work on these things of, of our private time, having that trusted friend, being a small group, going on mission, being part of the church, that's how we stop our hearts from becoming hard. This is the opposite of faith. Song to reflect on this morning. Sabbath rest by Galilee, of calm of hills above, where Jesus knelt to share with thee, violence of eternity, interpreted by love. Beautiful picture of Jesus just walking up onto the mountain time and spending time praying and then just walking out onto the lake, talking to his father the whole time. Let us do the same. Let us spend time with our father. Because of Jesus and who he is and what he has done, we have a direct path of communication with the Father God, the Creator God. We can spend time with him each and every day. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for what these writers have told us and communicated to us through the centuries. Father God, help us this morning to see ourselves in that boat. Jesus walks on the water towards us. Help us to put ourselves in that, in that situation, to imagine ourselves there. And to hear the voice of Jesus saying, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Father God, this morning we thank you for Jesus and who he is and what he has done. We thank you that he is the prophet like Moses, that he is the one greater than Moses, that he is the Messiah, he is the Son of God. Help us, Heavenly Father, this morning to be utterly amazed and marvel again at who he is and what he has done for us. Help us, Lord God, flabbergasted at the amazing power of Jesus. Come by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, and speak to our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Help us to hear your voice. We pray all this in the precious and powerful name of our water-walking Jesus. Amen.
invite the worship group to come. We'll sing our final song this morning.